please welcome him. Thank you. So you're in your third year. How's it been going? What if I said that if you get the right answer to the question, you graduate? Well, you'd say, no, that's not true because we don't graduate. Yeah. <laughs> we just begin. But I do have a question. Does she need this? Wait a minute. What is the most important thing that you take away hopefully every time you leave this gathering or you leave your parish or you go to work or you work with your children or whatever it is you might be doing? What's the most important thing? Maybe you want to try? Ma'am. Okay, that's part of the answer, actually. The most important thing is to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Everything that you learn is obviously important. It will be part of your ministry when you begin working in your parish in a whole variety of different ways. But the most important thing is to experience the love of Jesus Christ for you. Love of Jesus Christ for you. Why is that important? Because as disciples, as witnesses, as fellow Catholics, the most important thing we do is to share the love of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't experienced it, you can't share it. And as a matter of fact, if you've not opened your heart and your soul to the love of Jesus, you cannot love the Lord in return. That's the most important characteristic of one who is to be a disciple. But let me share with you a scripture. It's 1 Peter, verses 3 through 9, but verses 8 and 9 are the most important. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is perishable even though tested in the fire, may prove to be for praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the last two verses, the most significant. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him. You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a sharing from St. Peter, who, as we know, betrayed our Lord and three times was invited to repent and chosen by our Lord himself as the first pope. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you have believed in him. 
You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why is that important? Because when you finish and are prepared to go back to your parish communities as a witness and a disciple, you are being sent back there to encounter, better yet, accompany the people of your parish community, those in particular that you're working with. And to encounter, to accompany, means that you have as a goal to develop a relationship with that person so you can disciple them and you can bring them to where Jesus wants them to be. There's a program called uh, Focus. You probably have heard of it. Maybe even have, some of you have children who have served on it. They have a wonderful way of accompaniment. Taking what Pope Francis talks about and making it personal. And this year we're fortunate to have a Focus team out of Linwood University. We haven't had one for a long time. What they do is they, in their preparation, in their daily prayer, in their support of one another, they help to strengthen one another in the love of Jesus Christ. Not just so that they can feel special and look in the mirror for the halo that should be forming around their heads, but rather so that they have the love of Jesus Christ that they take out to accompany those other students close to their age that are on that campus. And the way it works is this. Each member of the focus team chooses three individuals to disciple for a year. That doesn't, learn that, that doesn't mean they don't work with others, but there's three in a special way they disciple for a year. And at the end of the year, if they've been faithful and this young lady, this young man was able to be discipled, and is ready to accompany, they each choose three. And so all of a sudden, they're not working with, with three, but nine. And since there's four members of the team, that's 36. 36 people who are being discipled. At the end of the year, if they've been faithful, they begin to accompany. Exactly what Pope Francis talks about. How would your parish change if once you complete this preparation, you say to your pastor, I'd like to be able to accompany some members of this parish community so that they can encounter the love of Jesus Christ that I have, but not in my life, in theirs. And he said, sure. And as a matter of fact, uh, Father Monsignor, give me the names of three people who used to go to church but don't go to church anymore. And I'll try to accompany them. And at the end of the year, those three people that didn't go to church anymore, who, because they were willing to be discipled, are now worshiping, they each pick three people who aren't going to church anymore. How would the face of your parish change after two or three years? You would have dynamic witnesses looking for others to accompany. Now, of course, in every parish, there's somebody that says, I go to church every Sunday, and I've done this now for 50 years, and you can't change me. Not willing to be discipled. Choose somebody else. 
But that's precisely what each one of us is called to do. And why? Because we've been baptized. And we know the love of Jesus Christ. And it's meant for us to give it away. So, while I hope that everything you've learned here is is helpful, and even though you may be feeling a little bit uncertain, or maybe even fearful, about what you're going to do when you go back to the parish, be grateful that during this three years, you had a chance to experience the love of Jesus Christ for you. And then begin to share that through accompaniment. Now, let me give you another example. When I was a parish priest, being the youngest priest in the parish, oftentimes young couples who wanted to get married came to see me. And because I was teaching on a college campus, this probably won't uh, um, surprise you, but many of them were living together off campus. It was a Catholic college, so they had to live off campus so they were going to live together. Now, I had a goal. And my goal was to help them reach a point in their relationship that they could separate to grow in other areas of love. Now, some priests would do it this way. I see that you have the same address. Go home, and once you've separated, you can come back and see me. That's not a compliment. That priest and I had the same goal. But because we know what the goal is down the line, we have to accept the fact that when we work with brothers and sisters, situations are usually a little messy. So instead, I would take them through the Gospel of Luke. And I'm sure they thought, what does that have to do with how I'm going to walk down the aisle and how long it is so that my white carpet is long enough? Well, of course, it has nothing to do with the middle aisle of the church. It has a lot to do with their faith. And so we would spend three or four sessions just reading the scriptures, inviting them after one or two meetings to even do the beginning prayer or the closing prayer. A little awkward. But as we work with them, we would bring them to the point where I would say, next week, we're going to talk about the fact that you live together. And I want you to talk about that this week. No surprises. And so they come in, and the funniest one is this young man looked at me and pointed to his girlfriend and said, she made me. <laughs> I said, really? I said, well, that's interesting. The other excuse is we can't afford to live apart. And I used to always say, no problem, uh, young man, you can live at the rectory. <laughs> no one ever did. They always found a way, a solution. But I have to say, in all the marriages that I did, only one couple did not separate. And that gave them a chance to begin to experience their relationship in other ways. They even had to begin to figure out how they were going to handle an argument because they weren't going to be able to just go to bed and pretend that the argument went away. And so I had the goal... I knew that their life was messy and I had to have a strategy of how I was going to get them to the point where I wanted them to be. In other words, when we're working with someone, we have to have a path in mind. 
I was in a parish one time when no volunteer would work with the ninth grade PSR. So the pastor told me, you'll have to take them all in the school cafeteria. I was uh, one of those modern teachers. I divided up the class into three pods. The first pod was getting them to take their jackets off. The second pod was trying to teach them something. And the third pod was trying to keep them from putting their jackets back on. So one day I simply said, go home. I didn't say go home because you're bad. I said, go home. Because I knew all the mothers would ask, why did you come home early? And as a matter of fact, this couple of them called me and I said, they're very, very difficult to work with. And I thought, I'd gang up on them by getting you on my side. That's not the ideal way to accompany somebody. But they're ninth graders. Come on. <laughs> you probably have some at home as we speak. But we have to have a goal. We have to accept the fact that the situation is messy. And we have to have a plan. How we're going to get there. Why? Because if we don't, we will not be able to accompany so, hopefully, as you've grown in your awareness of Jesus Christ in your life, and you come to the point where you're ready to go out and to share the good news, I refer you to the last part of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and teach, make, Baptize. What do you think is the most important word there? To go there for? Well, obviously you have to be there if you're going to do something. Teach? No. No. The most important word is make. We have to have a goal. The goal is to baptize. We have to have a way to get there. And uh, because life is messy. So what do we do? We want to make disciples. That's the most important word, but we have to teach open up the word of God and prepare them so that they understand the fullness of what it means to be baptized. Because you know the problem we have in the church today? There's too many people who are baptized that didn't understand all that it meant. That's why some people say confirmation is a graduation. Just like you don't graduate, those young people I confirmed don't graduate either. They just don't know it. So that probably tells us that if you're going to be working in PSR, you've got to have a goal. You want them to learn something. They don't want to be there. The situation is messy. I mean, they've been in school all day long if it's on Wednesday afternoons. And you have to have a plan. And that's when you begin to use all of the things that you learned here. But the most important thing is to share your love of Jesus Christ by the way you share yourself with them. And then call them on to it. Aware of the strength then of what we're trying to get to, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. Aware of its importance in our own life. When's the last time in your prayer you prayed for an increase in faith? Or you prayed thanking God for the gift of faith? Or do you simply take it for granted? Most people simply take it for granted. And so, 
one of the ways that we can accompany is to talk about the, the joy, the blessing that you've received when you prayed and asked the Lord to increase your faith. Or the blessing that you received when you thank God for the gift of faith in some time of prayer. Because the majority of Catholics just assume that they got faith and that's all you have to worry about. But it's most important. There's a priest friend I know, and I used this at, the, at Mass yesterday for All Souls. He said at the end of each day, no matter what he's done, he has a little prayer room in the rectory. And he goes in, and first of all, he thanks God for all the good things that happened that day. And then he asks God's forgiveness for whatever he wasn't too proud of that he did that day. And then he asks the most important question. God, what do we need to talk about that I don't want to talk about with you? What do we need, God, to talk about that I don't want to talk about with you? He says, certainly it's a blessing when you give God thanks for the good things that happen. And even on an average day, good things happen. And certainly it's a blessing when we tell God we're sorry for what we have done that day. But imagine how your relationship with Jesus Christ could grow if you were to say, so God, what are we going to talk about that I don't want to talk about? And then you just open your soul, open your heart to whatever God wants to place there. I'll give you one example. I have been in four different dioceses over the course of my time as bishop. And when I was moved from the second to the third, I felt very, very sorry for myself because I really liked where I was. I'd been there 11 years. And I was in the midst of being in the middle of the pity pot. So, I was praying, and this is what the Lord placed in my heart. Because you were generous and moved, your heart is moved to a point where I can speak to you more clearly. I, of course, was just feeling sorry for myself, but the Lord had something in mind. And I would guess, if you think about your development over the last three years, because you were generous and said yes to this program and have been faithful, God has also moved you to a different place. That's how it works. So at the end of today, sit wherever it is you sit for your blessed prayer, prayerful thought and say, Lord, what would you like me to what would you like to talk about with me that I don't want to talk about? And see what Jesus has to say. Because otherwise, how can the words become personal? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I would say, go, th- go therefore and make. If we cannot have that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Great Commission, at the end of, of the Gospel of Matthew, that's not just for Sister Kathleen or the other sisters that she lives with. It's not just for me. It's not just for your pastor. It's not just for your deacon. It's not just for your associate pastor. It's for you. 
that's why you have to have the goal. And you have to understand it's always messy. And you have to figure out where you want to be at the end. And what happens is you'll find that people are not going to feel judged by you. Oh yeah, you're one of those that went through that three-year program. Like a 90-day wonder in the military. And I suppose you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong and tell me what you've been doing right. They won't say that, but trust me, they're thinking it. Especially when you show up and say, oh, I just went through the most wonderful program. And they're all saying, oh, no. <laughs> no, we have to have the plan. So when the pastor says, go and do this, what's your responsibility? Me? Why me? I, was, I missed that class when we talked about that in the formation program. <laughs> or we simply say, I'll go. But will you go in prayer? Or you'll simply just go? I find that some of the worst homilies I give, I know that shocks you that I possibly could give a bad homily. <laughs> just ask your pastor. Some of the worst homilies I give is when I don't pray them first. Read the Word of God, check my computer, see if I've talked about it before. Hit send. And every once in a while I do that. And usually I'm disappointed. But if I take the scripture and pray about it, and the Lord opens my heart to the power of that word, even when I don't think sometimes that it's the greatest homily, people will say, you were talking just to me. And I used to say to myself, I didn't even know she was there. How could I, how could I be possibly talking to her? And then it finally hit me. I pray first when I preach so that if the Lord wants to touch somebody's heart, it's none of my business. And he will do what he wants me to do, or I'll do what he wants me to do, if I first open my heart to his gentle promptings. And sometimes I'll, I'll preach and I'll say something that's not even on the page. And somebody said, how did you say that? I said, I don't remember. Can I have a copy of your sermon? Sure, but it's not there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit had to inspire that thought, whatever it might be. And the Holy Spirit will inspire you if each time before you minister, whatever capacity... You open your heart to the power of God. Reminds me of a call that Archbishop Sami, the uh, nuncio, several years ago. He called this uh, priest and said, The Holy Father has chosen you to be a bishop. And the priest on the other end of the phone said, uh, I, I, I want to pray about that. He said, Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> We should be praying all the time. Now, I'm sure he was a very good person, and maybe he was just nervous and said that. But if we're praying all the time, and somebody comes up to us and encounters us in the lobby of the church or in the parking lot, and they pour their heart out, if we've been praying, we'll be ready. And God will give us the word that we're meant to share. The first time when I was a deacon that I ever went to a hospital, it was on a Sunday, and the pastor was gone. 
And I was told to come because a baby had died in the process of being delivered. Well, it wasn't one, it was triplets. And the couple were 19. First pregnancy. There's really nothing you can say. And you moms out there know exactly that point. And so, the Holy Spirit gave me the gift of silence and presence. Afterwards, I came back, and the pastor eventually came back late Sunday afternoon. I told him about it. He said, what'd you do? I said, I did nothing. I was silent. I just sat there with him. He said, young man, that's precisely what you should have done. He said, but be praying while you're sitting there. And invite them if they want to pray in their own heart, in their own lives, to pray with you. And so sometimes, because we prayed, we know how to deal with whatever hits us in, the, in that particular minute or that week or that month, whatever it is. But there's a, another scripture I'd like to uh, share with you. It's uh, John chapter 4. And the whole passage is verses 4 through 42. This is a scripture that you should not only read, you should pray over because this is a scripture where Jesus teaches you and I exactly how to accompany. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the pot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, we will find out later in the passage that Jesus didn't just sit at that well because he was thirsty. He was thirsty, all right. He was thirsty for the soul of that woman. But he didn't say, Hmm, there you are. He said, Give me a drink. And that was extraordinary because... She was a Samaritan and he was a pious Jew and they didn't talk to each other. So from the very beginning, he's thrown this woman off a little bit. Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then there's a little quote in parentheses in John's Gospel. For Jews, use nothing in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is beginning to move in on that person's soul. And he's enticing her. He's enticing her to go deep says, give me a drink. Why would you ask me to give me a drink? You're Jewish. If you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask to receive living water. So the Lord is moving along the path. He hasn't told her the goal yet. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you begin to see that you and I are that woman at the well? And Jesus wants to encounter us daily. And so he asks us to give him a drink. And we have a choice. We can either say, I don't know what what you want, but I, I want nothing to do with this. I have my own life. I have my own things that I want to accomplish. And uh, besides that, I don't hear voices. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. She is now asking for what she would have rejected had he said, You're a terrible person. Hasn't brought that up at all. Do you think Jesus is changing the rules of the church? Have you heard anybody say, Oh, that Pope Francis, he's just changing everything. Or could it be that he's read this passage too? Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. Aha! The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. And Jesus answered, Yes, you are right in saying, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said to is, is true. As a goal. You think he's getting close? Probably. Did he offend her? No, he drew her in. A dialogue. Even gave her something a little distant to think about, as he gives us every single day. So, do you speak the truth to Jesus every day? Or do you talk to him every day? Do you talk to Jesus as much as you're on Facebook? Or sitting behind the computer reading stories that really mean nothing in the great scheme of things. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship as spirit and truth. And then she says, reaching deep into the preparation she must have had as a young girl, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Anointed. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. See how he's drawn her? See how he desires to draw each of us? And we can read through this passage and say, oh, it's about somebody that had five husbands 
I've only had one. And ladies, have you prayed for your husband today? Husbands, have you prayed for your wives today? If you haven't, you better do it before this talk is over because now that I've brought this up, your wife's going to ask you. <laughs> At that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for? Why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? All of a sudden, she's evangelizing. She's going out and making disciples, people from her own town. And I'm sure some of them said, Her? You know what she's like? Hmm. Uh, she must be taking something funny. Because they're thinking the same thing about us. We're preaching, we're talking. We can't be afraid to be rejected. And I'm sure some rejected her. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. Now he's working on the disciples. I have food to eat of which you do not know. The Messiah being nourished by God the Father. Just as we are nourished by food, others do not know if they don't know that we pray. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, in four months the harvest will be near? I tell you, look up and see the field ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving his payment and gathering crops for eternal life so that the ants, the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified, the one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have that work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. A powerful lesson for us. When we begin to work with the people in our parish, we didn't sow the seeds of their faith. Somebody else did. Maybe it was a mother, a grandmother. Maybe it was a particular homily that your pastor gave. Maybe it was something they read. Maybe it was a retreat they went on. But you're sent not to sow, but to reap and to strengthen those people in faith. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of you or your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Another lesson for us. They're not going to believe because we walk with them. They may like us. I remember when I had my first knee replaced, the young man that did the therapy said, you're not going to like me very much. And at the end of the six weeks, I said, you know what, you're very honest. I really don't like you very much. <laughs> 
But they were going to say, yeah, we like you, thank you very much for what you did. But we can't hold on to them. Because it's God who blessed and anointed them. And just like these people said to the lady, we believed you and so we came, we no longer believe because of you. We believe because of what God is doing in our lives. After all, remember, Jesus stayed with them for two, week, for two days. It would probably take us a bit longer, but then we're not the Messiah. This scripture is a scripture that everyone who accompanies should read often. Not only to understand the goal and the, thing, the things are messy and there has to be a path that we follow, but also to read it through our eyes for what we're called to do. Because, like it or not, all our lives are a bit messy. And you say, well, how do you know that? I looked over this crowd, I don't see one halo. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, there's not one in your head either, buddy. <laughs> so we have to read this passage often, I believe, to begin to understand what it is that we're called to do in the ministry that God is giving us. And so, a couple examples and then we'll have a few time, a little time for questions. What are some of the examples that Jesus uses in the scriptures to remind us that life is messy? Well, John 8 the woman caught in adultery. And the beautiful ending to that particular scripture, after Jesus is written in the sand and everybody goes away, and he asks her, well, who's accusing you? She looks around, there's nobody. So he had a goal. The path was to write in the sand. Then he asks her, who's accusing you? And she says, no one. And what does he say? He doesn't say no better luck next time. He says, instead, go and sin no more. I had a modern day experience of that recently during confessions at the cathedral, and I hope you weren't the person. And I I opened the screen, it was on the side where people are identified, and I could see a light. And uh, this person said, Oh, just 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 a second. And she's moving around. She said, okay, we can start now. And, uh, and then she, so I, I started. And then she got to the sins part, and she goes, no, I didn't do that. Mm-mm, not that either. No, no. Well, yeah, I did do this. Yeah, that's true. She was going through the examination of conscience of some app. So, went through the process. And then I, I gave her a little scripture and uh, obviously penance and uh, I said so please make a good act of contrition just a second I gotta find that <laughs> that's the modern day uh, and I share that story because that's what you're dealing with next time you go out to a restaurant look at all the tables around you I'm amazed when you got four people at a table and they're all into their iPhones not talking to each other. We had a seminarian one time, and I said, you know, you're never talking about it. He said, I don't have time. I said, you don't? No, he said, I've got to be on my computer. I'm on Facebook, and 
whatever else you can be on. He said, the pe- I post these things in the morning and the people react all day long and I write back to each one of them. That's so wonderful. Uh, luckily, he discerned, he must have read something on the internet and he discerned that he wasn't called to be a priest. Uh, however, this is true. He is working for a radio station. So he found his path uh, through the internet, I guess. The second uh, scripture that Jesus uses, and this time it's uh, Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes, you remember that passage, uh, they're talking, he says, what are you talking about? They say, are you the only one? Uh, and they're fleeing, they're fleeing Jerusalem. That part doesn't come out, but that's what they're doing. And so he begins to explain the scriptures to them. That's, the, that's his method to get into the goal. His strategy. It's the path. And then they ask him to stay. They're so intrigued. And they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. He disappears from their midst. He takes them back to the preparation to be a disciple. And without judging them, he doesn't tell them, Hi guys, escaping Jerusalem, huh? Think something bad might happen to you? Or, you were disciples with me for all this, these three years, and you didn't understand one thing I said? And so you're getting out of town, but the going was good? He takes them back to the breaking of the bread the power of the Last Supper. Or Mark chapter 10. The rich young man. He comes forward and he says to Jesus, what must I do to be good? And Jesus says, only one is good and that's God the Father. And then he talks about all the wonderful things he's done. And Jesus affirms that. But he says, but there's one more thing that you must do. Now remember the past? He let the kid talk. And that fellow just poured out blessings. All the wonderful things he had done. But again, Jesus had a goal. And the goal was to, was to touch his heart in the one thing that he had to deal with. And that was the effect of wealth in his life. And he said... Go and sell everything you have and come and be my disciple. And the story says in Mark 10, he went away sad. Why is that important? Because in the first two examples, they had a goal, they had a path, and they were successful, right? The disciples believed and the woman wasn't stoned to death and she was told to go and say no more. In this one, because Jesus respects the gift of freedom, He will allow us to choose. And because Jesus respects the gift of freedom, even though we've walked with someone, accompanied them, in the end, they must choose. And they may not choose what we want them to do. That's precisely why I'm not a a spiritual director. I'm going to tell you once, and I want you to get out there and do it. Jesus doesn't work that way. A good spiritual director will circle back around. 
Not circle the wagons, but circle back around. And bring it up in a different way, or with a different scripture. Or might even say to the young man, you see what Jesus is doing? He's calling you on. He's inviting you to be his disciple. He wants you to get rid of everything and follow him. Because when we're dealing with people, working with them, teaching them, walking with them, they all have stuff that they're dealing with. And because of that, they may not, they may not want what they see in us, the presence of Jesus. They may know that there's something special, but they're unwilling to pay the price. And there's always a price. So what have we really been talking about here? Authentic pastoral care. Authentic pastoral care. For you and for the people that you'll be dealing with. So the question is, how has God shaped the history of your life that you're sitting here today? And as you think about it, what were the joyful, happy ways that Jesus has touched your heart and your life? And what were the things that Jesus had to do in your life gradually because you weren't willing to change? And what things did you have to give up that weren't exactly easy? And that's a helpful thing to reflect on because it's the same thing that the people are going to go through that you're working with. And secondly, in what particular way is God calling you to help others? In what particular way is God calling you to help others? And if you're sitting there right now and say, I don't have a clue. Pray. So that when we're finished and you go back and talk to your pastor, you can say, the Lord has placed this in my heart. And what do you do if the pastor suggests something that's completely different? Well, there's two approaches. Uh, one is my grandmother's approach. When I would do something she didn't like or say something she didn't like, she would say, young man, you have another thing coming. I never thought that was so good until I realized I got older as she gave me a second chance to get it right. So don't tell your pastor, Father, you have another thing coming. It worked for my grandmother and me when I was five and six, but it probably won't work with my senior. But you can say, thank you for that trust that you placed in me. I'd like to go home and pray about it. And can we come and talk again? Because I've been praying, and that's, up to this point, now what God placed in my heart. Because you have a responsibility. If God is calling you in a particular way and your pastor suggests something else, you've got a goal. You've got to tell them what God's saying to you. You have to have a path. And the path is to say, let me go home and pray about it. Let's get together again. That's part of the mess. Because he might very well be right. When I was given various assignments and I thought they were awful or not very nice or why do they have me do that? Oftentimes those were the exact assignments in which I discovered great joy. Um, one was the high school that my parents sent me to. I didn't want to go to it. I had another one in mind. You probably heard this. I use this story a lot. And I said, Dad, and my mother and dad were there. And I said, well, I want to go to this high school. And they said, oh, no, Robert. We've selected a different one for you. 
and it was the military high school. I had four sisters. I was the only boy, the only perfect child in our family. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked the fatal question, why? And my father said to me, well, Robert, since you asked, your mother and I consider you obnoxious. And we're hopeful that the military high school can do something for you. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, it was the best thing that ever happened. I still have, I've been out of high school 55 years, and I still am in contact with many of my classmates. Uh, although when we get together now, it's often in Florida in the wintertime. <laughs> but they all have houses down there, it's a wonderful thing. So when your pastor has something in mind, you might kind of wonder, pray about it, and say, what? Well, the Lord has this place, this in my heart, and then, but, but why are you calling me to this? Maybe, maybe I didn't hear God clearly and see what he has to say. What I've tried to do today is to carve out how a woman of God or a man of God deals with ministry. And when it's all said and done with, the things I've talked about here are what you have to experience in order to make disciples. And you even have to allow God to disciple you. Thank you very much.